Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Jira. I'm your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we are recording episode 78. Before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast, A Gift from Adversity, which is available on Amazon. The subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. After I published this book, I got a lot of messages from different places, people telling about their adversities. And I felt very compelled to share not only my story, but create a platform where people can share their adversities but also tools that they use to overcome and the gift that came from it. I'm very, very grateful to have brave guests so far from all over the world who have been sharing their true stories, tools that they use to overcome and a gift. And my goal really is to provide this podcast as a gift to our generation and our next generations to come so we have more skills to help ourselves. So tonight I have a guest for the first time from Philippines and her name is Valerie Fisher. Hi, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. So I'm actually um, on the opposite, opposite side of the world. We're 12 hours apart right now. It's morning here, it's evening there. Hello, everybody. I know that you know you have viewers and listeners from all over the world. So I greet you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. So Valerie, tell us your name and where you're coming in from and then what you do and if you have a website or social media as well. Okay. So my name is Valerie, uh, Valerie Fisher. I am coming to you live here in Manila, Philippines. My, you know, I would like for everybody to connect with me through uh, specifically LinkedIn. I'm active on LinkedIn. So my LinkedIn account is Valerie P. Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. I am a trainer and a coach consultant. So I use neuro-linguistic programming in digital marketing to come up with um, what I trademarked as brain science selling. So it's really, um, I, you know, identifying and understanding how people think and using that for marketing strategy. So that's what I do. Do you have any Instagram, Facebook, social media, website? Uh, yes, my website is www.valeriepfisher.com. Dot net. So I'm Valerie P. Fisher everywhere. Instagram, TikTok even, Facebook, and also on, on LinkedIn. So it's Valerie P. Fisher. So people can find you, Valerie P. Fisher. All right. .net is a website. So I just put on the comment page, a uh, comment section, and if people have some any comments, feel free to type. So let's dive into the first question. 
of this podcast, which is the adversity. So Valerie, can you tell us what was your adversity? Um, well, I've had several, <laughs> but the ones that I, you know, I want to talk to everybody about, which I think became milestones. Like these are the pivotal moments in my life. The first one was when my mom got sick. I was actually, when, when she got sick, I was 12 and she passed away. I was 15. That's the, that's the first one. So, you know, I experienced loss at a very young age. The second one, the second adversity was when my then boyfriend was killed in a um, 7-Eleven robbery. So it's a convenience store robbery in broad daylight back in 2012. And then the recent one, well, the most recent one is in 20, was in 2020 when at the start of the pandemic, I lost my dream job. Like, that was my dream job. <laughs> and I lost it at the start of the pandemic when everybody was feeling anxious and, and, and scared and, you know, confused and uncertain. So that was very, that was a, a tough time. What was your dream job? Um, chief marketing officer. Because people in the in the marketing industry, like in the marketing, um, you know, world, that's what you aim for. That's kind of the highest. The chief marketing officer, head of marketing, marketing director. That's what you really, you know. So from the time that I was I started work, that was what I was aiming for. Did they tell you why they have to let you go? Um, at that time, because they didn't have, well, I was the last one to come in. I was recently hired. So last, you know, the last one in, first one out. That was the, that was really the, the main reason why. And then the second was financial issues with my employer because my employer didn't want to pay my recruiter because you know um you, when you here in the philippines when you become a regular employee and the employer got you through a recruiter they have to pay the recruiter so they didn't want to pay that because of you know financial difficulties especially at the start of the pandemic well thank you so much for sharing that valerie let's actually go back to the first adversity that you experienced. Um, so you're 15 years old. Did you have siblings? Yes, I am the eldest of three kids. I have, so after me, I have a sister who's four years younger and then another brother who is three years younger than her. So seven years younger than, than me. So my brother at that time was, I think only like seven or eight when my when my mom passed away so i was kind of you know delegated as the second mom when when she passed away and i was only 15 at that time how did how did your mom pass um so we found out that she has been living with just one kidney all her life so, you know, from the time that she was born, the she only had one kidney. And then that kidney worked double time. 
for you know for everything that the body needs so by the time that we found out it was already late stage it was um, a kidney failure kidney failure it was late stage the doctor gave her six months to live but she lived for four years actually she lived for four years she really fought like the whole family fought with her um i remember uh, at 12 years old if anybody's familiar with dialysis you know we would go to the hospital and then i remember one of those moments it was my birthday and i saw the bub- the blood being pumped out of her and be, you know the blood this being pumped out it goes into this machine and then goes back into her body to clean because her body does not have the ability to clean its own blood and i remember my birthday i passed out because <laughs> i'm like oh my god this is you know this is my mom and there's so much blood even if it's not you know it's it's in the um, the tube and i you know i see her I saw her suffering, so I, I passed out. The doctors were like, okay, we have another patient here. Because <laughs> I, you know, I, I passed out. So, um, and then also my brother, even at seven years old, he had to, because it, it moved from that machine when it became worse, when it worsened, we had to change into the, um, what do you call that? There's a bag. There's a bag in her tummy that we replace because she can't pee by herself anymore. So it's actually pee. And my brother, even at seven years old, learned how to replace that bag. So he was a nurse. He even at you know even at seven even at seven years old. So those are the things that we experience. And um, I was 15, graduating high school at the time when finally. You know, her body just couldn't couldn't make it anymore. Oh, do you remember how you felt at such a young age, knowing that she had been fighting with this, and then being feeling responsible for other younger siblings, but you have to study. Yes, student, and then other students, obviously were not experiencing that. Did you experience any bullying or isolation or feeling like really isolated or sad or anything? Um, I I re- I actually received a a standing ovation when I graduated because I graduated valedictorian the year that my mom passed away. And then I thanked her in my valedictorian speech and everybody because everybody knew um our suffering like you know they they knew what we were what we were going through at the time and they were so impressed that i was still able to to graduate on time and even at the top of my class but yes um i did feel the isolation because instead of you know having lunch or like during recess time we lived close to the school and during lunch break i did not have time to bond with others because i would go home to change my mom's bag so i did not have those you know in in the corporate world we now call it the pantry conversations i didn't have those kinds of conversations at least um towards the end part of my high school because i had to go back and be you know responsible for 
that change. I mean, my my brother knows how, but I'm the you know I'm the oldest. <laughs> I'm responsible for for that. And at that time, to be honest, I felt you know this is just sharing my my true feelings. I felt annoyed. I felt mad because like why did we have to go through to go through that? I was you know an angsty teenager. And I blamed my mom for not taking care of herself. I blamed my dad for not having enough money for, you know, for like a caregiver. So there was blaming all over. And, you know, that's that's really that's really how I felt at that time. When and then when she passed away, there's the guilt and the shame that I felt that, that I felt the, you know, the anger. And I but I had no choice but to be responsible for my brother and my sister. So uh, after your mom passed, did you have to work or were you able to study and just not work? Um, well, I got a scholarship so that I can still continue studying. But uh, because I was the eldest and we didn't have enough, you know, a lot of money, I didn't have the luxury of a gap year for example for for kids who are still you know trying to find themselves <laughs> i immediately had to find a job that will help the family because my my dad at that time uh you know he 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 was still working but he wasn't earning enough for all of us so i had to immediately you know jump in as a as a breadwinner was where were you working um i my first job was in a an advertising agency specifically doing events and and road shows that was my you know that was my first job and like like when i was in high school it, the episodes continued something like you know my friends after graduating they would go have christmas vacations they would travel they would shop. I didn't, again, have the luxury of that because my money, most of my money either went to rent or tuition for my brother and my sister. I, I'm um, really speechless. I'm trying to think loss of a parent at such a young age and then being old, um, the oldest um i don't know like the pressure that you felt maybe like growing up way too fast yes age did it affect your adult life like do you feel that part of your maturity like you know that you have to grow up quickly did it affect your mental health or anything maybe in your later life? Um I well I think I think it helped me become stronger. I also think the I mean the positive side of it is that I didn't really have it a lot of friends. So I kept my friends close but really close, you know, I mean a few but really close. Um, 
how it affected me is i mean after that when i was 15 i told myself i lost my mom at such a young age there is nothing i cannot face in the future because you know it was really hard because it was not only the loss of my mom it was also the loss of my teenage years because <laughs> i first you know stepped in as a responsible adult at 12 years old the end stage of my childhood going towards being a teenager so i lost all of that from 12 until 16 until you know uh, i i graduated so I, I think I mourned the loss of that. But then eventually when my brother and my sister graduated and they have their they had their own money, it was very late in my 20s when I would, actually early 30s, when I had money to spend on myself. I think that was when, you know, I said, okay, it's my turn. I will focus on me now. That is a significant amount of time since 12 years old. Yes, it is because you're very young and you're still, you know, um, identifying yourself even. And recently a friend of mine said, and this, you know, this, this comment got me curious. She said, um, it, it started with, you know, when you're aging, when you're getting older, I'm having like hair loss. And, and, I, and, you know, I said to my friend, you know what? I'm having this hair loss. I don't know what to do. And she said, this is what you do. She gave me, like, advice. And then at the end of it, she said, oh, I forgot. You didn't have a mom growing up, so you don't know these things. And then it occurred to me, you know what? You're right. I don't even have a skin routine. <laughs> I don't even have, you know, like, any hair or skin routine that, a mom would normally pass on to her daughters. I, I didn't have that. And it was only, like, seriously, only this July that I realized that. I had to learn everything on my own. Nobody passed on any rituals or advice to me in that department. Yes, I, I can definitely understand that. Um, thank you so much for sharing, Valerie. It's a very um, vulnerable conversation. I, I really appreciate you opening up. And no matter what country you are in, the loss of your parent at such a young age is really, really traumatic. And the grief, um, you don't know where to go. And then the process can take a really long time and the responsibility that falls on your shoulder at such a young age, I've seen it and it's definitely devastating and not being able to be a kid. Yes. That's hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a late bloomer. I didn't experience romance, like high school romance. I did not have the luxury of that. I remember talking to my grandmother, and she grew up with 
extreme poverty during the World War II. She didn't have any parents, orphans around them that she kind of raised orphans from the war around her. And she really didn't have a chance to take care of herself. And after the war, she got married to my grandpa. But a year before I was born, he was killed by a car accident. So she had been a widow for a very long time. But at age like 60, she realized it's my turn, like you said. So she started to take shamisen, which is a Japanese instrument. Mm. And in the 70s, she was on full makeup, full-blown kimono, performing and teaching until she got cancer and they couldn't do it anymore. So she was a late, late bloomer. <laughs> yeah. But I remember um, her telling me some stories that she had to grow up really, really quickly. Yeah, same with me. I'm sorry. Well, Valerie, let's talk a little bit about the gun shooting. So is it common in Philippines? How often does that happen in Manila? Um, not for a foreigner because he's American. He's an American. He was an American living here. And um, probably because he thought he could because there was a robbery, you know, he was buying cigarettes and then there's this person who comes in and says, you know, hold up, uh, give me all your money from the cashier or whatever. And he's a, he was a big guy. You know, he was a big guy and he was strong. He probably thought he could um, manage the person, the, the robber. What he didn't know was that there was another person waiting outside the store like an you know like an accomplice so he made it to his car but then he was shot there he was shot in 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 his car but what what made it more complicated and you know this is again part of the adversity is what made it more complicated is three years even after three years of being with him I did not know and only found out after he died that he was still married. Oh my gosh. Yes. So I was not even allowed into the wake. Was he married in America? No, he was married here. But um, every time, because we would meet and, you know, I, it didn't occur to me because um, you know, we would meet on weekends and I had my own place and I preferred my own place. It just didn't occur to me to like, you know, let's go to your place. And I could go to his office. His office mates know me. Um, it, you know, we would meet on a regular basis, etc. And he said, he said he was already like divorced or separated, but only after when he died, that I found out that that was a lie, that he was still living with the woman who was his wife. Was she American or Filipina? Was yeah. she when you when she found out? Um, she knew. She knew about me 
That's why I wasn't allowed. <laughs> it's confusing, right? So she knew about me. I didn't know about her. But she had to save face also, I think, with the family. She didn't want the family to know that he was cheating on her. So there was no mention of me. I only know this because one of his closest friends was like, you know, messaging me and updating me about what's happening. You know, I, I went to the wake area, but only outside. I, I didn't, I, I couldn't go inside. I also didn't have the, I think, the, the, the courage at that time to do that. So the mourning happened in private. Oh jeez. I did not see, you know, his his body. And when he was shot, it was a Sunday, he was coming home from me. So he was just, you know, he he left my house. He stopped by a 7-Eleven to buy a cigarette, and that's when he was shot. Wow. That is double shocking. Not only he got killed, but you found out after his death that he was actually cheating on his wife. And cheating on me with his wife. <laughs> wow. How did it affect you? How it impacted me, I... Of course I was mad. I mean, at the beginning, I was so mad. Um, at him, but I mean, how can you get mad at a, at a dead person? You can't. So that's why it's you know it's it's doubly hard because you can't. How who do you blame? You know who you you blame you blame the shooter, but then okay, who do you blame for the cheating when the person's already gone? You can't. You know you can't you can't blame anyone. So. Um, to me, the effect was I felt, I actually felt that I was saved. I actually felt that I was saved because I would stay, I would have stayed in that relationship if he didn't die. Oh my gosh. So thinking about it, you know, reframing, because I'm an NLP practitioner, when I reframed it, I realized it was a blessing mm. for me because, you know, it was not, it was a toxic relationship and I would have stayed. Wow. Well, again, thank you so much for sharing that, Valerie. Um, I, I just hate cheating. I just like, it's hard. It's very hard. And yeah. It is. It is. It's, and then not having no one to blame after. Yeah. I can't even slap him. I can't even kick him. You know what I mean? There's no physical manifestation of the anger. I can't. That's It's all inside. Yeah. Wow. One time I was in college and I was living with this guy, Japanese person. And I worked really hard during the college. We dated maybe like a year. 
And I found out he was cheating on me when I was at college. But when I come home later, he would cook for me, be nice. And then found out it was a double cheat because she was cheating on a boyfriend. Oh. A double relationship. Yeah. Really, really bad. Yeah, but anyways, um, well, um, let's talk about the third adversity that you mentioned about the loss of the job during the pandemic. So you worked really hard to get this chief. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I started working at 20 years old. So, you know, all throughout. And um, when this happened, I was 41. So I've been working for 21 years. Advertising, marketing, advertising, marketing. And that was really, you know, I'm a, I'm an achiever. When I set my eyes on something, I really make sure that I get it. I get there. And finally, I got it. You know, I got the that dream job that every marketer wants. But then, April 4, 2020, I received a message from my boss that said, we need to talk. And everybody knows those are four words you don't want to hear. You don't want to hear it from your spouse. You don't want to. You don't want to hear it from your boss, from your, you know, from anyone because it's serious. And you know, I knew, I kind of knew what was going to happen. And she said, you know, April four. Um, you can't go to work anymore. So that was Saturday. She said, you can't get. You can't go to work anymore that the next Monday. There was no turnover. There was no saying goodbye. It was just, I'm sorry, you're fired. It was, you know, it was actually mutual. She gave me the, she gave me the chance because she's like, um, at that time, at the during the lockdown, she wanted me to work from our office somewhere else. So you know, to kind of, um, it was like a, how do I say? He was like, she was like bribing me. You want to stay? You want to? You you want to stay in your job? Well, you have to work outside and not be with your family and, you know, break the rules because you can't go out. It was the lockdown. He wanted me to go out and work and meet with people. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I can't do that. I'm scared for my life. I we don't know what's going to happen because this was the start of the pandemic and. We would hear thousands of people dying every day from, you know, New York, London, and in the Philippines. And I, I said, I cannot, um, I cannot choose work over my family. Because what if something happens to me? I mean, you don't even, you don't even give me insurance. What's gonna happen to my family? So I had to, you know, I had to choose. So she said, okay, if you don't. If you don't go to work, then I guess you're fired. I'm like, yes, I resign. <laughs> so it was mutual. It was mutual. It was it was mutual. I didn't want to do what she wanted me to do. She said, I'm sorry. And that was April 4 of 2020. How did you feel receiving that news? Um I mean, 
I I was so scared because number one, how what will happen? What what's going to happen if you know again I have the responsibility to my brother and to my sister? Like what if something happens to them? How will I be able to help them financially? How will I be able to help others in my circle, my friends, you know, financially? Because there was, you know, many people here in the Philippines, 5 million people lost their jobs. And so that there was that, there was that fear. And there was also a lot of shame. A lot of shame. Because I've already reached the pinnacle. That was like, you know, the top of the marketing world. And then what, four months after I lose it? It was embarrassing. I, not deactivated, but I kind of laid low on my social media at that time. Nobody knew except my husband and my family, my brother, my sister, my dad. They were, they were the only ones. And, you know, I, there was, I couldn't tell anyone. I was embarrassed. I was, you know, <laughs> it's so shameful to me that 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 happened to me and again like being an achiever that i am that was a big blow to my ego so did it affect your mental health stage like depression or like i know shame is one of it but like self-sabotage or maybe like some like the daily life did it affect you after that news um I guess the, I guess life has toughened me up already with, you know, the first adversity. The second adversity, I was diagnosed actually with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, when my boyfriend passed away. But this one, I think the first two toughened me up. So I was, I just um, felt all the feelings. I just felt all the feelings. I just let it wash over me. So, you know, that's, I guess that's, that's how it affects, I just let it be. It, it's like, what, what can I do? There's nothing I can do. Especially when you're working in a corporate world since 20 years old, and that's your identity, and you reach the top, it's almost like identity crisis. Yes, it it was, it was. But you know, um, I have I because of the certification that I have. Um, eventually, I got through it. You know, I used some tools, etc. But it's just the way that it affected me was. It was more like, um, how do I say, I needed to do inner work. I needed to do more inner work because like what you said, it hit my identity. So who, who am I now? If I'm not this corporate girl, if I'm not this marketing person, who am I now? So that's how it affected me. I, it, you know, I really worked inward. We're going to save that part for the second question about how you got through that. But let's just talk a little bit about women working in the corporate world in 
Philippines, and then is it a lot of executives in Philippines? Is that gender equality? Is how how do you describe that currently? Like in Japan, like I think 2016, very recently, the women firefighter was first time allowed, but、mm-hmm. before that, never women fire firefighter were allowed even in the field. And even after that, law had changed that only below one percent of female firefighters.、Mm. Just that. Then I've never seen train conductor or woman, even bus driver. Never seen woman.、Um, not so much of CEO, chief operator, executives. How is that in Philippines? Um, in the corporate world, at least where I used to be, there's a lot of women executive. There was a lot of women executives, but this was what my boss told me that I I remember until now. We have we had to work harder because it's harder to get us in that position. It was harder to get us in that position, so we have to work harder. And I also didn't realize. That this was a standard in terms of pay that men get thirty percent higher because it is assumed, especially for executive positions, it is assumed that they are the ones taking care of their families. So even if you know, even if I I am in the same position. Or even if I worked harder, I would still be thirty percent less, earning thirty percent less than the man. That's how it works. I heard the news recently: women professional soccer player finally got equal payment as male professional soccer player. And this is the world news,、yeah. not just Asia. Even in Hollywood, some superstars. Yes. Men gets paid more, a woman gets paid less,、mm-hmm. and it's well known factor. Even in America, forget about Japan. <laughs> it's <laughs> not there. So you have to work. Harder, harder. This corporate ladder. How did you have to work harder to try to achieve, try to prove? Like, what was it like to get to the top? Um, you have to play the visibility game. Um, my husband calls it. What What's the word? It's like everything is. What you see, you know,、um, meaning. For example, these are like strategies. I I make sure that I'm in the right meetings. I volunteer myself for high、um, profile events, things like that. Even during Christmas parties, I am the host. Like I act as the host of Christmas parties, so that they know who I am. 
the executives know who I am. So by the time that my papers get submitted for promotion, they won't even need to ask, who is this person? They know. They already know. So that's how I placed myself. That's how I, you know, positioned myself when it, com when it comes to working hard. You also have to work smart. I mean, we don't want to... We, so we sometimes deny the existence of politics, but when you when you want that power, you when you want that seat, that that what they call the seat at the table, you also have to play the game. That's what I learned. Yeah, you. I think I've heard a word. You have to learn how to play the political game. You do, you do. I mean, I, I don't, I did not go as far as, you know, kissing ass or something, but I made sure they know me. Like they know me, they know my name, they know my face. I shake hands with them. I was the only non-C-level executive that was invited in, a, um, in, in the owner's yacht party. I was the only, I was senior manager at that time. Everybody was like, you know, assistant vice president, senior assistant vice president. But that is because the event that they will, because it was a, a fireworks show. So they were in a yacht to watch the fireworks from the bay. But that fireworks show was my event. So I got invited to the exclusive party. Because, I mean, it's logical to have me there. So those, you know, those things, you, you really have to be smart about how to place yourself. You have to be strategic. Yes. And intentional. Mm. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. It's very interesting. Um, I've never really talked to somebody from Philippines and in the corporate world and the success, but then also devastation of the loss. And um, I had a nonprofit for 12 years. And when I closed my nonprofit as a president and founder, I had, I definitely experienced identity crisis because I was this person of president yeah. and founder for the nonprofit. So my friend said, you look like a ghost or something because part of it is almost like a baby like you know the loss of a child when you put so much in your work field with so much passion and again the identity that you have you as a marketing advertising person i as a non-profit leader and then people start to know you the community mm -hmm. call you that and then you just lose it like that and then it's hard yes. it is hard because you don't even know how to describe yourself anymore like who you know what are you <laughs> how will you introduce yourself to people around you like you know it used to be hi i'm valerie i work in real estate and you know i'm a, a an assistant vice president or something and how now <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I completely get it. Like, I, I definitely went through that. 
But thank you. So Valerie, let's move on to the tools part. So you had shared three different adversities. So let's talk about tools that you applied to overcome these adversities. So first of all, loss of your mom, like what do you think the best tool that you used to overcome loss of your mom at age 15? Um, I wasn't aware of it at that time, but I think that, I mean, the tool that I used is really just taking responsibility for my brother and my sister. It was like, if I wasn't strong for them, who will be strong for them? Like there was no, like there was no one else. I mean, my dad was with us, but he was working and he was always away because his job required him to be away, like physically away, so that he can continue providing for us. Um, so I really had to be there, like physically be the, the I don't know, like the head person, you know, the, the head of the family. So the tool was just thinking of my brother and my sister. It was really that I, you know, it, I don't call, I don't know if you can call it the tool, but that was the mindset that I, you know, that I had at that, at that time. And um, I just continued I, in my head. I just kept on playing what my mom would always tell me because between the two, my, my mom and my dad, it was really my mom who believed in me. So I would play her, her you know, her words back with her saying, you can do it. Like in my, when I have exams, when I have competitions, when I have whatever it is that I'm trying to achieve, she would always say, you can do it. And that's what, you know, that's what really helped me survive. I didn't want to let her down because she knew that I could do it. Wow. How about, the loss of your boyfriend and then finding out the cheating part. Um, how did you, what kind of tools that you applied that worked for you to get through that adversity? Um, two tools, particularly because I was already much older, I used travel. Um, so when he, when he, he, he passed away September and I said, life is short. You know, that's really a realization of how short life is. He was just in my house. He drove away and then he never came back. And I was like reminded again of what happened to my mom, that life is short. You don't know when people are going to leave and you don't know when you're going to leave the world. So I decided to get all of my life savings, <laughs> like, you know, everything. Remember I, I said, it's my turn. So when I started saving for myself until that time, I went and traveled to Europe. Like I went to, I went to Istanbul, Paris, and then um, Belgium and Amsterdam by myself. Like I traveled alone. And that was, you know, very empowering. That was very empowering. That told me, myself, my unconscious also, that I don't need a man to help me fulfill my dreams. Because I did that myself. I fulfilled my dream of traveling to Paris myself. 
So that's one. And then, um, so, you know, just travel. And then the second one um, that ga- that helped me, the tool that helped me was writing. I wrote down, like I wrote two articles that were published about that loss, about that lo- the loss of my, my, my boyfriend. And that helped. That helped me a lot to process the grief and to help me understand what happened. The writing also helped other people around me like you you know those lurkers in your life who just follow you and then when i started writing and sharing my story they would message me and say um thank you for sharing that i totally relate i lost my this one i lost my this one i lost you know whatever loss that they were experiencing at the time they shared with me and they felt like i was the you know um like championing them also when I share my story. So that's the two, those are the two tools, travel and writing. I'm so glad you did that. I'm so glad that you went to Europe by yourself. And it's so important that, you know, especially women um, that to realize I don't need a man to be successful and I don't need men to travel by myself. And I actually did that after my first divorce. Um, I went to Spain by myself. I went to Israel by myself and I was, in Spain for three weeks by myself and in Israel for like 10 days or maybe less. And it just really real, made me realize that I'm okay, I can stand. And it was interesting, Valerie, it was a bus that I took from Jerusalem to Ela. It was four hours ride alone. And there's a woman next to me. And then I was telling her that I just recently got separated and divorced. And she said, Chiri, you came on this earth with two legs, and then you're gonna leave this earth with two legs, not four legs. So think about that. That's what yes. she's. Yes. So and then sometimes traveling can physically remove yourself from the situation, and yes. sometimes that cleanses your soul. This mm-hmm. and then seeing a completely different places, eating different foods, meeting different people. That can definitely put you in a totally different mental stage. Agree. I agree. Did you feel good? How long did you travel? Um, it was only I don't know, like fourteen days. It was very short. It was very it was very short because I, I was working also at the time, so I just, you know, got whatever available leave that I I had and I was I was actually thinking of somewhere close, like in Asia. But then I'm like, when am I gonna do this? What when else am I going to travel to my dream destination? When when am I gonna do this? So I told my friend who's also my travel agent, I said, Let's do it. <laughs> you know, let's do it. This is all my savings. Let's do it. I'm gonna get the money back when I come back, you know, for to work again anyway. So let's just do it. I am so happy you did that to yourself. Yeah, it's definitely important. And how about the loss of the job? Um, the loss of the job, again, because I'm older, it was more strategic what the tools that I, I use and also because I'm also a certified practitioner, NLP practitioner at the time. Um, 
identity. So we were talking about identity. I wrote, like writing again, I wrote an inventory of what I did in the past, what I'm good at, and what I enjoyed. So there's like a, a notebook of, you know, not my, not my job titles, the things that I actually did. Like, you know, meet with clients, present, go on stage, whatever. So I wrote those down. Wrote all my credentials, etc. And then I looked at it. And then I said, whoa, I've done a lot. And there's things that I can combine from all of these. Because no one was going to hire at that time. It was all freeze hiring. Because, you know, they were firing. <laughs> there was no hiring. It was all firing. So I said, how am I going to survive this pandemic if I don't make use of what I know? And I wanted to, I sincerely wanted to help people because I knew it was not only me who lost jobs, you know. So I combined the things that I know. So NLP, marketing, advertising, business, etc., and then I came up with a method, which I eventually called brain science selling, that I help people with. So there's a like you know a marketing method to the online sellers. For example, if you're an Amazon seller or Facebook, you sell on Facebook or you sell on Instagram, and or you know I came from real estate. Real estate sellers didn't know how to sell online because they were used to face-to-face -face open house you know so i used what i know to teach them so that inventory was my tool the inner work that i mentioned earlier i went back to i even went as far back as when i was 12 years old when my mom first started getting sick and we needed extra money that I, you know, became a tutor to younger kids. And then I realized that's why I'm a trainer now. Because I actually had it with me even as young as 12. And it's something, you know, even if you're not facing an adversity for everybody who's listening or watching right now, it's something that you can use. Write down. You know, write down the things that you have been doing, that you did in the past, that you enjoyed. And you will find the reason why you're here the re or your next step. That is very interesting to be able to see. And then you mentioned about something that you enjoy, you wrote it down to that I enjoyed. I enjoyed teaching. I enjoyed mentoring. Because when I was um, in the corporate world, I enjoyed, you know, grooming people into knowing what I know, like downloading what I know and helping them also thrive in, in that environment. So I used that to what I do now. And I also enjoy... I also enjoy, even when I was, you know, in college, giving advice to friends because I enjoy that. And then I'm a coach. I mean, I'm NLP certified. 
I said, why not be a coach? That's where, you know, that's where it all went. That's why I am who I am now because of that loss of a job, the dream job, it actually led me to my purpose. I see. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. And my last question is a gift that came from these adversities. Um, so much awareness. Self-awareness, I think, is, is, is very important. It's critical in the way that we live our lives. Because I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. I know that, you know... I can I can go through whatever adversity that I will probably go through in the future, knowing what I know now and knowing what I have already experienced. So awareness is awareness for me is one. And then the second is clarity. Clarity. I know I know now why I'm here. I know why I'm put in this earth. Well, thank you so much for that. So before you leave this podcast, if anyone's suffering or facing with any of the adversity that you faced in your life, what is your biggest advice that you can give? Um, you just have to go through it. There's no over, there's no under, there's no... You know, there's no shortcut to it. You have to go through it. Because at the end of it, when you go through it, you, when you look back, you will realize, wow, you know, I did it. I did. I, I survived one of the most difficult times of my life. And that will make you proud of yourself. And that pride, that, you know, that awareness, that pride that you did it will take you through the next, take you through the next one. Because it doesn't stop with just one adversity. You know, life happens. Life happens. Well, thank you so much, Valerie, for coming to A Gift from Adversity today. And I truly appreciate you sharing the story so bravely, courageously, and you're very strong, you're poised, and a very brilliant person. So I really appreciate you sharing your story today thank you so much thank you everyone bye thank you everyone and see you next time